I didn't hear much amen in this morning. Did you catch the lyrics to that song? If there's anybody here who knows he's able, who's seen him be faithful, amen? You know, we all, I hear that, come on now. Let's give him some praise. God is worthy of our praise this morning. He is faithful. He gets us through these things that constantly hit us in the journey of life. Amen. Let's stand and come together, join singing our praises to Jesus, our Savior.
Lord, we come before you, blessing your name, thanking you for all that you've done for us. Oh, Lord, we'd be nothing without you. Father, we pray you continue to bless our service as this offering is given to glorify your name, Lord, to further the ministries of this church and beyond. Father, we just are grateful for your love for us. Bless Dr. Lowry as he brings this message shortly, God. Everything to your glory. Amen. My name is Bornemius. No one cares if I live or die. All day long I just sit here begging while the people just walk on by. But today I heard them whispering. They said Jesus was passing through. Oh, I heard that he healed a blind man. And I wonder, could it be Now he's coming closer. Would he hear a blind man's cry? It is now or it is never. I may not make it, but I must try. that I'm feeling now. Someone's hand is on my brow and I feel power, power and now. He speaks to me, says I am free and I can see Jesus.
Good morning, church family. We're pleased to welcome today our last guest speaker, Dr. Fred Lowry. Dr. Lowry was actually the first preacher that I booked when the sabbatical was approved, and there's one reason why. Dr. Lowry was able to do at First Baptist Bossier what I hope to see happen here at our church over the next several years. When Dr. Lowry was called to First Bossier in 1983 at 40 years old, he cast a vision and worked towards that vision over the next 30 years. First Baptist grew and grew and grew and made a difference in Shreveport, Bossier area. Everyone in that region knows the church and has been impacted by the ministry of that church. Dr. Lowry, thank you for being here today. I pray God uses you and blesses your preaching, and I know that our people will leave having heard from the Lord through you today. Thank you, Pastor. It's a joy to be here. I love and respect your pastor, and and, uh, it's a privilege to be in this service today, and thank you for this uh, music. And some of you, our paths have crossed uh, over the years, and it's good to see you again and a great friend down here who's been a huge blessing in my life over the years. So, and of course, I just love to preach. Been a, I've been in California all week. High, the high each day was 75. So it's a little hard today to take this heat, but it's always good to be back in the, in the state of Louisiana. And Sir talked about First Bossier, and let me just share one one story with you. On my 30th anniversary in Bossier, I wanted our people to catch a vision and try to grasp what God had done. Not what I've done, I had little to do with it. What God has done through his people. And so I had a bottle of water. And I talked about the woman of the well. And Jesus said, if you drink of the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And I held up that bottle of water and I said, we've given 30 years of our lives working in this church. If only one person had come to know Christ and received eternal life, never thirst again, it would be worth those 30 years. But then I said, but God always does more than we could ever ask or expect. And in that first year, we saw 250 people accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we brought out 250 bottles. But then I said, God always does the miraculous. He's a God of miracles. He's a God who wants to work in any church. God who wants people to come to Him. And so God not only did more than we expected, God did beyond anything we could ever think or dream. And then I had them bring in 6,660 bottles of water. Think about that. 6,660 people saved by the grace of God, baptized, never thirst again. God can do that in any church. The problem is never with God. It's always on our side, isn't it? 
So I encourage you to follow your pastor's dream and vision and see what God would lead you to do to impact this city for Christ and to reach hundreds, if not thousands, for Christ. I think you already know this, but let me look at my watch. I won't pay any attention to it, but America is in big trouble. However much trouble you think we're in, you don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. It's much worse than we think it is. And it's too late for tweaking things. America is going in the wrong direction. Right has become wrong and wrong has become right. Good has become evil and evil has become good. In fact, it appears that there's nothing that's wrong anymore. Lying is not a problem. Lying is to be celebrated. It's whatever you feel like doing. That's okay. Do it. Nothing. There's not a moral standard. It's what you want to do. So America is in is going in the opposite direction. We have to turn around completely and go back. To the other direction. And I'm going to tell you. That can only happen. As we cry out to God in repentance. Because revival is the only hope. For America. Total true revival. There's no other way out. We think about ISIS and realize that almost daily we hear of people being killed, murdered, thousands upon thousands murdered by ISIS. Their goal is to do that in America, to murder as many people, especially as many Christians as they possibly can. But here's the truth. Bombs and bullets will never stop ISIS. They'll face anything. They're willing to die for their faith. Most of us are not even willing to live for our faith. So bombs and bullets won't do it. The only thing powerful enough to stop ISIS is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, ISIS is sin to the ultimate level. And there's never been but one cure for sin, and there never will be but one cure for sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is our only hope. And yet, the average church member, after two years of being a Christian, doesn't even have a relationship with a non-Christian. What we do is we rally around ourselves. You see, every church starts out the same way. We want to win our community to Christ. That's why we have church. We exist for those not yet reached. That's our purpose. So how are we doing? 90% of Southern Baptist churches are in a decline relative to their communities. 97% of our churches are not reaching their communities. That's why we exist. That's why we have church. We don't have church for us. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. We have church for those who haven't shown up yet. But we have to reach them. But it gets worse. 
70% of our Southern Baptist children, 7 out of 10 of our SBC kids are leaving the church by age 22 or 23 and do not plan to ever come back. 7 out of 10. Our kids. You say, that just couldn't be. Some are even becoming atheists. Oh, that could never happen in this church. In Bossier, we had two families who never missed a Sunday. But one of their kids became an atheist in each family. I'd never even heard of that. In 50-something years of pastoring. How did we get here? You see, every church starts out the same way. To win the community to Christ. But what happens is that we turn inward. You see, we began by turning outward and trying to reach our community. But then there comes a point where we just begin to enjoy each other and hanging out with each other and fellowshipping with each other and Baptist eating with each other. And we turn inward and focus on ourselves. And it's never intentional. No church has ever had this as its plan. We don't intend to turn inward. But it happens almost automatically. We get comfortable. We get cozy. Here's the bottom line. If we don't continually force ourselves back out, we will, by default, turn inward. It's happened all... That's why the convention numbers are so low. That's why we're winning less now than we were in the 1950s. That's why Southern Baptists have no future unless we can get back to what God taught us to do. To turn outward to a lost and dying world. So, and I know you already know this. The character of God demands that we be evangelistic. God wants to save the world. The command of God demands that we be evangelistic. And by the way, not even Baptists can vote on God's commands. It's not a choice. Remember the Pharisees in Matthew 28, 20, 28, 19, 20. The Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love God with your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Listen closely. Those are the greatest commands God has given us. Both those commands, if you do them, it results in evangelism. Where am I going with that? Evangelism, reaching people for Christ, turning outward, is not an option. It is a command of our living God. And we're all commanded to do that. Our church in Bozier reached a lot of people, but God didn't just command our church to reach people. He commands every church to reach people. 
Every church, you say, well, our church is an evangelistic church. I've, I've heard that around the country. That's not, that's not what we're about. Then you're not a church. Because the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one he died for, its primary priority is always evangelism. We have an assignment. We have a commission. And we have a book in the Bible that's the textbook for evangelism. It's the book of Acts. So if you brought your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Acts. I love to preach out of Acts because Baptists can find Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You got it. The book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. It's easy to summarize the book of Acts. The Savior went up. The Spirit came down. The church goes out. The Savior went up. He sent the Spirit down to energize us for the church to go out. And in this text, we have two commands and two promises. The first command is stop being afraid. The word is intimidated. It's like a skittish horse. Don't be touchy. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of and intimidated by our society. We live in a secular progressive culture. Don't be intimidated by the culture. They're wrong. Dead wrong. In Christ we are right. He is absolute truth. I was pastoring over in Bonham, Texas and I was I was in seminary and I uh, went down on Saturday afternoon and I'd work on my sermon for the next day if I hadn't gotten it by then. And so I was in the study and the WMU ladies were meeting in another room and I, I didn't know that. And all of a sudden a knock came on my door. So I went and opened the door and it was the president of the WMU and she was all upset. And I, I said, what, what's wrong? She says, call the sheriff. Call the sheriff. And I said, why? She said, there's some boys out in the parking lot doing wheelies. Go call the sheriff and get them arrested. I said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. So I shut the door and I went back to working on my sermon. (laughs) But that afternoon, I went looking for those boys. I wanted to know where they lived. And I wanted to meet them. And so I was able, after two or three different places and People that I knew asking questions, I found these boys and introduced myself to them and told them I wanted I wanted to see their motorcycles. And so and, and I wanted them to tell me all about their motorcycles and they did. And then I said, let me ask you a question. Do you all ever ride on Saturday nights? They said every Saturday night. I said, could I ride with you all one Saturday night? You should see the look on their faces. They said, well, yeah, if you want to. I said, well, I want to. 
He said, have you ever ridden a motorcycle before? Uh, twice on a small thing, but I don't know. You've got to help me. He said, okay. Next Saturday night, 6 o'clock. Next Saturday night, I was there. They were there. And they started giving me instructions, and they'd found the slowest bike they could find and the easiest one to get on and off. And they, they helped me, you know, make sure I could, I could do it. And I got on that motorcycle, and I, I you know, I sat down on that thing because it was time to take off. And I just said, God, have you ever ridden the motorcycle? <laughs> we got to ride one tonight. And I took off with those boys. I have never been treated better anywhere by any people. They were so concerned about me. They wanted to be sure I was safe. They wanted to be sure I enjoyed it. And we had a wonderful experience. Sunday morning, two of those boys were in church and one of them accepted Christ. The next Sunday, the rest of them came to accept Christ. And then we reached their families for Christ and baptized all the boys and their families. Just by reaching out. See, it's easy to condemn others and put down how they're living. The problem is they don't know Jesus. Don't expect them to live like you think they ought to live. Or do what you think they ought to do. Reach out to them. Stop being intimidated by Satan. Satan does, he didn't care. If you just come to church every Sunday, he didn't care. He knows you're not, not going to make much difference. Satan gets mad when you start talking the gospel to people. And you love them with the gospel. See, why? do you know why we're left on this earth to take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can? And our philosophy is simple. We're to love God and love people. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's why we exist. And don't say you love people if you don't love them enough to tell them about Jesus. You don't really love them. So it's so important to understand that Satan is he is a defeated foe. He just doesn't know it or believe it. Jesus won. And Jesus can overcome that in your life. I was uh, got on my lawn tractor in a little shed to back it out. And all of a sudden I looked to my left and there was a, the end of a snake. And the snake, best I could tell, it was, it was about 20 feet long and about 2 feet in diameter. I'm just afraid of two kinds of snakes, dead ones and live ones. And I knew that head was somewhere behind my head. And and I had to get out of there, and I had to get out quickly before he got to me. And so I got that tractor back out of that shed and and then realized I still got to deal with that snake. And so I went and got a hoe. And with that hoe, I was able to... Pull that snake, it was only two befores, pull that snake down, and with my heart racing, perspiring, I beat the snake out of that snake. I mean, I, I hit it probably <laughs> seven or eight hundred times. 
And then I called my wife. I said, come out here. I want you to see this. I want you to see what I'm proud now. I want you to see what I've done. She came and looked at it. I said, go and get the camera. I want you to take a picture of this. So I pulled it up by the hole and held it up, and she took a picture. We still got that picture. Thirty minutes later, my, my neighbor Malcolm comes over, next-door neighbor. And he sees a snake, and he said, who killed that snake? I did. I was so proud. I did. He said, why did you kill it? I said, what do you mean, why did I kill it? He said, that's a good snake. That's not, it's harmless. We need those snakes here. He said, why didn't you look at the shape of its eyes? <laughs> Who cares? I'm not getting in a snake's face and looking at his eyes. I'm not doing that. Well, Satan is a snake, but he has already been defeated. In fact, if it weren't a Baptist church, I would tell you, you could tell him to go to hell. That's his home, by the way. That's where he lives. Just go back home. Because he's lost the battle. You see, we, we let Satan win battles in our lives that have already been won through Jesus Christ if we just claim that victory and use the power of the Holy Spirit to rise up against Satan. Stop being intimidated by people. I've heard so many Baptist answers over the years. Trying to get people to come. We'd, we'd go knocking doors every Monday night. And, of course, I, I bribed our people a good bit. In fact, I brought Bluebell ice cream, which is one of my greatest accomplishments in life. I brought it to Louisiana. I'd eaten, gotten love it in Texas, and and they, they weren't in Louisiana. So I called the vice president, talked to the vice president of Bluebell and said, I'm going to have 300 people in visitation soul winning. And I want to serve, if we have over 300, we'll serve them Blue Belt ice cream. Is there any way I can get it? He said, I never heard of anything like that. He said, I'll bring it to you myself. And he brought that ice cream in the station wagon. We had over 300, we had 320 something people. And I talked about it on television and, and uh, then they put an article in the paper and months later they, they wrote an article and said they're coming to blue, bringing Bluebell to, to Shreveport, Louisiana. Because so many, there was so much interest in it. So that's my only claim to fame, that I brought Bluebell to Louisiana. But we are afraid of people and we say things like, well, I'm just not qualified to, uh, to, to, to witness to somebody. I, I'm, not a, I'm not gifted at that. That's just not my gift. I'm not a real talker to people I don't, I don't know. I don't know a lot of scripture. Or I'm just weak in, in that area. I, I just, just the thought that I have to share my, my faith, the gospel with somebody, I just start trembling inside. I really can't persuade people. That's just not, that's not who I am. All of those things I've just mentioned are the very qualifications for being a great witness. And we find them. You remember the, the Apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist in the New Testament? I mean, he wrote nearly half the New Testament. He established nearly half the churches in the New Testament. There's been no greater Christian, no greater evangelist than Paul. So what does Paul say? He says, when I came to you, brothers, in 2 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence. Now, here's the guys, one more people of Christ, and 
perhaps any, anybody in that period of time for sure. Maybe forever. He said, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I didn't know a lot. This wasn't necessarily my area. I didn't have a background of training. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What do you need to know to witness and win people to Christ? Know Jesus and Him crucified for our sins. That's what you need to know. I came to you in weakness. Here's the greatest evangelist saying, you know how I did it? I came in weakness. Because that's all I had. I was weak. We are all weak. I'm weak. It's the Holy Spirit that's strong. I came in weakness and fear. You talk about trembling. Paul says, I'm fearful of doing this. It's out of, out of my realm. It's, it's, it's not what I'm good at. But it makes it, it gets even stronger. I came with fear and much trembling. Just imagine that. The greatest evangelist wrote much of the New Testament. And he says, I've shared the gospel with fear and I'm trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He said, my, my sermons weren't very good. My testimony, my, what I told people about Christ, I was not very good at that. And I certainly, I wasn't persuasive. That's not who I am. See, it doesn't matter who we are. It matters who God is. Because God wants to be God through us. He really wants us to get out of the way and let Him take over. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. What is he saying? He's saying it is not our wisdom, it is not our talent, it is not our personality. It is by God's power through us that people come to know Christ. And all of us have that. We have that equally. Over here, you're not better than somebody over here. Over here. We all have God. All that God is, He is in us. And all that He is in us, He wants to be through us. So that wipes out all excuses. Second command. Keep on speaking and do not become silent. Don't ever... Stop sharing Jesus. Don't ever be silent when it comes to Christ. You know, we're silenced many times by selfishness. We live in a world of meism, an I culture. I, I, I. iPhone, iPad, you name it. Even the Pope and the President are doing selfies. It's all about self. But we think, if I witness to somebody, they might not like me. Or they might say something that will hurt my feelings. 
well, don't worry about saying the wrong thing because they're already going to hell. So you can't hurt them. So we have to die to self for the gospel to live. We have to die to self for the gospel to live. If we're going to be vehicles, instruments of the gospel, share the gospel, then we have to keep dying to self. Not worry about what other people think. Worry about whether or not we're doing what God wants us to do. That's what's important. And let God take care of the rest. Don't be silenced by selfishness. Don't be silenced by busyness. Now here's where God gets a lot of good church people. He gets us busy in our churches doing important things, but then we neglect the most important thing. You say, preacher, I don't know if that's, I believe that or not. Well, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Let me just prove it to you. Be honest. How many of you in this room got saved in a committee meeting in a Baptist church? Just raise your hand. Look at him. Raise your hand. Isn't that amazing? And yet, what do Baptists spend so much of their time doing? Having committee meetings. You see, this is not hard. God is your business. And nothing is more important. I was... uh, Speaking in Maryland. And let me go to this side for a while. You'll think I like them better. I was speaking in Maryland at a crusade. And a lady came up to me. His name was Shirley Allen. And I was preaching on evangelism that night. And, and sharing our faith. And she said, I'm a, pa- I'm a teacher. I have students in my class. I'm t- teaching Sunday school. And I love my class, and they love me. And I think they're all Christians, but I've never asked any of them if they really knew Jesus. And I realized tonight, I have to do that. And you pray for me, because next Sunday, the next week, I'm going to talk to every one of them individually and make sure they know Jesus. And I said, surely that's great. And I prayed with her. Two weeks later, I was in another crusade, two hours away. And after that service, Shirley Allen walked up to me. Well, before the service, she walked up to me. Says, do you remember me? I'm Shirley Allen. I talked to you. And I said, yes, I do remember. She said, well, I did it. Talked to every one of my kids. And they all already knew Christ except one. And he's here with me tonight. And he's going to walk down the aisle and make his public profession of faith in Christ tonight. I've shared the gospel with him. He's coming tonight. And I said, Shirley, that is, that is wonderful. She said, but the devil is just about to eat my lunch. The devil is tearing me up. And I said, what do you mean? She said, when I was witnessing to that boy, I lost the diamond out of my ring. It is my most treasured possession, and it's gone forever. And the devil is eating my lunch over it. He's making me miserable. And so I preached that night, gave the invitation. Of course, I didn't know him, but that boy came and stood down there to make his profession of faith. 
After that service, Shirley Allen came running up to me and she said, Brother Fred, Brother Fred, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. And I said, what? She said, I found my diamond. I said, where did you find it? She said, in the sparkle in Bill's eyes. And she said, you know what? I'm not going to ever replace the diamond. I've got to... When somebody says, hey, you've lost a diamond out of your ring, I can tell them, yes, but let me tell you all the places I found it. She got it that night. And I hope that you get it today. Don't be silenced by success. See, churches become successful and and things seem to be going well and well organized and we get careless about the one thing God designed us to do as a church. And that's to reach a lost community. To reach people for Christ. I was preaching in South Carolina. It was the First Baptist Church. And I love First Baptist Church. I pastored one for over 30 years. Well, it's pastored two First Baptist Churches. I started pastoring in 11th grade in high school. So this is 56 years of ministry for me. But I was uh, at this church and the pastor and I were walking down the hallway And there was a classroom, and the door was open, and it was a room full of recliners. And I just got my attention. I said, Pastor, what is that room? He said, that's the men's Bible class. He said, the men didn't like the uncomfortable cheap chairs we had in there. And they said, we're going to buy our own chairs. And so we gave them permission to buy their chairs. And they said, well, if we're going to buy our own, we're paying for it. We can get exactly what we want. Men like recliners. We'll just buy us recliners. Hey, can't you just see that in your mind? Picture that on a Sunday morning. When those guys reared back that recliner saying, ain't God good. <laughs> Don't be silenced by success. Get out of your chairs and into the streets. Don't be silenced by sin. If you hang on to your sin, if you hide your sin in your heart, the devil will shut you up and he will shut you down. Because the moment you try to open your mouth about Christ, the devil will start reminding you of your sins. And tell you you have no business talking to anybody about Jesus. Don't be silenced by sin. Don't be silenced by structure. This, this puts a lot of churches out of business. They get so structured and so organized. That they stopped doing the very thing they were set up to do. That God called us to do. And sometimes we just have to shake things up and realize we've, we've become a slave to structure. I was uh, pe- preaching in, over in, I won't tell you the city, uh, over in Texas. It was the First Baptist Church. And the pastor came to the motel. And he said, Brother Fred, I'm glad you're here. You know how some preachers talk. So I'm glad to be here. He said, we have a wonderful church. It's a wonderful church. I said, good. Looking forward to it. He said, now they don't like that hard preaching. They don't like it. They don't like it. I said, yes, sir. He said, now, if you preach that hell, fire, and damnation stuff, they won't come. They won't come. I said, yes, sir. And then he said, now, Brother Fred... 
I don't have any problems here at First Baptist Church. And I'd appreciate if you wouldn't create any while you're here. Well, I got the message. I got in the pulpit that night, pitched the biggest fit of my ministry. I preached hellfire damnation like I've never preached it before. And that week, 90 people accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Sometimes the structure has to be shaken. I was, uh, I've been in other places where, you know, things needed to be shaken up and uh, just for, I do, th- so I do, th- I mostly do things on the spur of the moment and, uh, and that's, that's, I get, it's dangerous that way. My wife says as long as I stay behind the pulpit looking at my Bible, she feels okay. But when I get on either side, she starts worrying because she doesn't know what's coming out because I don't know what's coming out either. So I was preaching in Holly Springs, Mississippi, where I found my wife, my beautiful wife of 43 years. And she'd be with me today, but we got grandkids coming in this afternoon. And the platform was non-existent. It was, it was high. The people were down there. And the only place to walk was right here. I could walk right on this side and, and right here. But there was a stack of offering plates about that high. On this side, the stack of offering plates about that high. So the only place I had to walk, I'd hit those offering plates on my toes. Well, I did that several times, and it kind of aggravated me. And I'm, and I'm looking at the people, and they're, you know, some are coloring in the building, and some are asleep, and some, you know, some looking at the ceiling tiles, counting those, I guess. Uh, and so I don't know why I did this. I've never done it before. I, I don't think I'll ever do it again. But I reached back and kicked those offering plates. I mean, it's high up here. It, it made all kinds of noise and, and of course, sound because it was quarters were going. It's a Baptist church. Quarters are going everywhere. <laughs> the next night, I mean, we had a pitiful crowd. The next night, the building was packed, balcony and all. And God broke through in a tremendous revival that week. A 69-year-old deacon chairman came and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But you see, sometimes we have to kick some things and break through structure. I was in Kentucky. And I don't, I don't have time to do this. Uh, let, me just, let me just wind up. Y- y'all don't listen fast enough. We got, I'm, running out of, I'm running out of time. Two promises. One, for I am with you. I myself am with you. You'll never need more or less than God. God's all you need. All you ever will need. And all that He is, He is in us and wants to be through us. The second promise, I have many people in this city. He could have meant by that, God's saying that I'm already working the hearts of people who are ready to receive the gospel. Many people who will respond to the gospel. Or he could be saying that there are many who already have responded to the gospel and they're going to help you and work with you and help you reach people. I have many people in this city. America is now a mission field. And that means that every day for you and me should be a mission trip. Every day for you and me should be a mission trip. We close with over in Birmingham, Alabama, 
I was preaching on a Saturday night. And again, this is one of those times when I said something. I don't know why I said it. It just came out. But I said at the close of that service that night, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So important that God set it up so that the woman would prepare a breakfast of homemade biscuits, eggs, grits, crispy bacon, and syrup. That's what God intended every morning for every family. Now, we have 800 or 1,000 people here tonight. There's at least one godly woman who still obeys God in this area of life. And you fix that kind of breakfast. And if you do, I'll come eat breakfast with you. I never thought anything about that. Ten o'clock that night, the knock came on the motel door. And I'm thinking, who in the world? I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Who in the world is knocking on my door at 10 o'clock at night? I got up and went over and looked through the peephole. There stood two teenage girls. I looked at those girls and I said, you've got the wrong room. (laughs) And one of the girls said, we heard you preach tonight. Did you mean what you said? I'm thinking, well, I'm sure I did, but what did I say? (laughs) So I opened the door and two precious teenage girls were standing there. and, And one of them said, you said that if a family for breakfast had homemade biscuits and eggs and grits and bacon and syrup, you'd eat breakfast with them. Daddy says you're a liar and a hypocrite. Were you lying? I said, no. Would you eat breakfast with us? I said, well, well, well yes. Well, we live up on the mountain. It takes a while to get up there. Are you still coming? And I'm trying to think, is, is it even possible to have enough time? For, because I've got to preach that morning. And I said, yes, if, if, if we can work that out, I will. Well, we're poor. Are you still coming? And I said, yes, if you'll come down and get me, because I don't even have a car. And then one of the girls said, well, we need to tell you that Daddy hates preachers. And he says they're all liars and hypocrites. He's never been to church and says he never will go to church. He doesn't like preachers at all. And he may be ugly to you. Are you still coming? I'm thinking in my inner mind, what in the world have I gotten myself into? I said yes. And he said, you sure? Because daddy may be really ugly to you. We don't know what he'll do. I said, I'm coming. So they came and got me that morning and we went and they lived in, it was poverty, even homemade furniture. That man was there, but he would not even look in my direction. Wouldn't be a part of our time together at all. Just had this mean look on his face that I could glance at. He wouldn't make eye contact with me. We sat at this table, and these two precious teenage girls could not have been better at what they did. They just spent the whole time at breakfast asking me questions about Jesus and the gospel and accepting Christ. 
And so we did that for all during breakfast. And then it was time to, to go back to the church and the man is yet to speak a word or look in my direction at all. And so I left that home and we drove down the mountain. And on the way, I prayed with the girls and I said, I don't think I did much good, but I want you to know I'm going to keep praying for your dad. And you keep praying for him and believing that one day he's going to be saved. And that morning I preached. And I had no idea. But on the back row was that man who came to church for the first time. And when I gave the invitation, we had 30 or 40 that came to make decisions for Christ. That father was one of them. I'll never forget, I can picture the scene as if it happened last night. He's talking with the pastor, the dad is. The girls are over here and I'm with them. They are just so happy they're about to explode. Happy tears. And then one of the girls looked at me and said, Daddy said, if he comes to me, I'll come to God. Wow. What if I had not gone to him? He'd be in hell. But then God spoke to my heart. Fred Lowry, do you have neighbors in your subdivision that say, you know, I know that preacher lives around there. I see him. He never says anything to me. If he, if he ever came to me, if he ever reached out to me, if he ever showed love to me, then I would come to God. You got any neighbors like that? Any people you work with like that? If he comes to me, if she comes to me with love, caring, compassion, the gospel, I will come to God. I want you to stand quietly across the room. We're going to give our hymn of invitation. You know what I've preached on this morning, and some of you may just need to come forward, and so the pastor be here, staff be here, say, I just want to renew my commitment to follow Christ, to share the gospel, to be a better witness. Perhaps you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. You can do that this very day. There are people here who help you know how to do that. Just come and say, I need Jesus in my heart. There may be those who are looking for church home and you've enjoyed this service this morning, this wonderful music and the spirit of this church, and you want to be a part of this church family. Then slip out and come and say to one of these ministers, I I want to be a part of this church. As God speaks to your heart, as we sing, if you're in the middle of the road, they'll let you out. Just excuse me. They'll be happy to let you out. In the balcony, you can come. As we sing, come right now.
Is to know you more, to be found.